Hey everyone, welcome back to Game in Hand. It's September 1st at the time of recording, and this episode is an impressions extravaganza. It's an impressions extravaganza because a bunch of developers thought it would be funny to release a whole bunch of Game of the Year contenders over the course of what feels like a week. And like most parent gamers, I have a finite number of hours to dedicate to my craft. I also really want to play games this Canadian long weekend. So, impressions it is for my freemium listeners until I, I don't know, shuffle out of the quaint listening size. Most of the games that I've hinted at that I've wanted to play, uh, as well as a couple titles that I had sought out, are on this list. But most of the new games that came out, I will kind of touch on, just to give you my impressions. Like new releases such as Armored Core 6. I'll also introduce a section about kind of what's new in gaming news. More of a take on what I find spicy. But this episode goes deep on the number of games I'll talk about, so I hope you have kept up on them better than I have. Ladies, gentlemen, uh, gentle ladies, robots, uh, star people, spacemans, spacewomen, whatever. Where to begin? August, and for the most part, early September, and quite frankly, maybe even all of September, our cups runneth over with multiple games you should absolutely play. So let's not dabble here. Let's take an easy one off this list. First impression is Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. This was another Green Man game pre-order for me. I feel kind of like a shill having to qualify a pre-order with the fact that I did through Green Man Games discounting, but I don't get paid for this. I actually kind of use Green Man Gaming usually to size up what the pre-order discount is for launch so that I can tie that into my expectations for how well the game is going to be received. It's been like that across multiple titles, and Armor Core's discount was kind of status quo. So I was expecting status quo, you know, a fun game, but expectations on course for the game was going to, you know, really be a developer's break from Elden Ring. And all I have to say is that someone who found the older games just okay, but still hold a certain level of nostalgia for games like Cybernator, just being a nostalgic SNES classic, Armored Core 6 doesn't do everything perfectly. In fact, it does everything quite punishingly until you figured out the magic gun that you should be using. But right now, it's a no-brainer buy recommendation for me. Uh, there's going to be spoilers in this, only because I'm six hours in. But because I'm only six hours in, I don't think describing some of these things really lessen the enjoyment of building your robot, fighting and dying to other robots. Again, hold on for the non-shill explanation, because probably like 80% of everyone who played this my first hour of this game was just figuring out how to beat the helicopter. Because it's really weird, they bring you into like smaller mech combat and attacking before getting to the intro boss of the game. And seeing how those intro robots before the boss were about as scary as a puddle on the sidewalk. Uh, it was about 40 minutes of me throwing my robot uh, at the helicopter, trying to think that I would get more helpful hints rather than just, hey, if you go airborne, you don't have to worry about missile explosions doing damages to you. As no matter what you do inside that tiny little boss area, every bullet and missile just kind of tracks you down and hits you from off screen. It was the first point in that game where I had to remember that the developers of Elden Ring grill you on the fundamentals. 
if you can't outdistance a mob's arsenal, why not change the distance? Why not sneak up on it? Why not change the arsenal that you're using? Once you grasp the idea that you have to figure out what the weaknesses is of your boss, then you have to change your layout to make sure that works. There's always going to be adequate solutions, but realistically, you want to go for the best solution. And you'll start getting a good appreciation for uh, multiple layouts, for example, rather than just building a one-thing-fits-all. Because after that, when regular missions start to come in and there's new guns and parts, there are fun, kind of relaxing missions sandwiched in between what I call the really shining aspects, the uh, from-software gems of this game. There's one part of the game where you take down a giant, you know, ATAT sized monster of a mech. There's always situations where you're constantly fighting other mech pilots, uh, assaulting bases, assaulting base assets, and, and more, and so on. It's really cool. The story itself, I mean, I always feel like from software games make the story work through weird obscurity that kind of fit the scenario, like a one off movie plot it's hard to describe but it doesn't hold the game back i just don't think the story is anything to boast about your fit out will obviously depend on what kind of gameplay style you want to achieve but i mean like you can do anything under the sun you want to be a double gunner with double missile launchers like you do you you can do laser swords you can do bazookas you can do you know, a healthy mix of things you could commit to just solely being a ground tank lifestyle you know stack on that weight have really good energy regeneration you know you might want to try and stay tried and true to kind of the bipedal evangelion mech style of combat there's even an option for you to turn into like a proper hover style craft so that you can do like air to ground missile bombing whenever you want. It, it goes on and on. There's so much to learn. There's so many stats to manage. Uh, and as parts unlock, you'll really learn to enjoy all the customization if you're into that. But then at the end of the day, you kind of have to remember as long as you can get on board with the combat from the from software game developers, you'll have a good time. Because realistically, a lot of this game is just kind of Elden Ring. You are supposed to be watching bosses realize how they telegraph their attacks and learning that you can't just purely face roll things in this game the whole way through. That's all I can really say about kind of like the aspects of the game because, again, six hours in. I can talk performance as I did kind of fiddle around with it on every device that I have. My 7900 XT does pretty well at 1440p and 120 hertz. I did have to do some slight tweaks thanks to my CPU kind of aging more poorly for gaming than I would have liked. VRAM usage I don't think is too much. Uh, it's in the 4 plus gigabyte range on my PC. Uh, I think ROG Ally capped out somewhere around like 3.4 gigabytes on high for 1080p. Uh, on the Steam Deck I didn't actually check because I wish I could say that game runs well at 800p 40fps flawlessly. But there are some noticeable dips, it, even when the game is on, like, completely low. This might have to do with their tried and tested in-house engine, but most people are probably going to be a little upset that there's no in-game FSR, no DLSS, no XESS to fall back on. You do have the ability to kind of play the game at any resolution under the sun, uh, albeit without upscaling. It does make the visuals in that game kind of range from slightly intoxicated all the way down to cataracts blurry and kind of and on the steam deck it didn't really matter what i selected because the text was always ridiculously small i did find that 
I went just like one step down on the 16 by 10 uh, aspect ratio resolution for the deck, and that did kind of keep things near 40 FPS on certain stages, again, with everything on low, but it wasn't a consistent experience, and I'd say if you can't stand a bouncing frame rate, uh, experiment with FSR 1 or just do 30 FPS. Uh, the ROG allies, uh, Z1 Extreme fares a little bit better. I'm just pointing this out to others considering 4840U handhelds and considering the ROG allies VRR range ends somewhere in the high 40s if you haven't manually tweaked it with uh, CRU. You kind of want to target those kind of 40s so that you can always have that low frame rate compensation kicking in. So I tested uh, just a kind of few setups on the go. Uh, I'm just going to quickly summarize what I saw in probably one of like the worst case scenarios where one of the earlier missions had a lot of smoke, a lot of fire, uh, snow coming down. The entire floor was flooded with water, so there was a constant reflection. And just putting yourself into combat in these kind of environments kind of put the worst case scenario out there. So just to run through this briefly, uh, at 1080p on high, uh, my 25 watt profile with efficient aggressive CPU boosting was basically 30 FPS mode. Trying to drop that down just by using the settings by going from high to medium put me like maybe two to three FPS higher, but the dips were still there. Low settings were a bit more consistent even in combat, usually ducking around 37 to 40. Uh, although in some less intense areas, you were definitely seeing like mid 50s. You could probably squeeze out a few more FPS if you really want to push your device. Uh, but this is how I play on my RG Ally. If you want to step down to something like a 20 watt profile, uh, turning off CPU boost, uh, quite honestly, it was a lot more quiet. Uh, there were definitely bigger dips in FPS. But between my 25 watt profile and my 20 watt profile, the difference in FPS you could always essentially count on one hand. I didn't bother going any lower than 20 watts for 1080p because it just won't be a very fun experience. At 720p, you know, I tried 25 watt TDP uh, with boost again, uh, low settings. I was still kind of bumbling out of the VRR range in like engaging combat, uh, but it was a, a it was comfortable. I'd say I'd be looking at like 50-ish FPS. Uh, at the worst case in combat, 20 watts without boost was kind of the same results as 1080p, to be honest. It might have been a handful of FPS increase, but again, the bigger the scene and the busier the scene, the bigger the opportunities were for some pretty substantial flame, frame drops and FPS dips. 720p with uh, 12 watt TDP locked, uh, no boost again on low settings, uh, was actually quite impressive. Uh, I'd see 30 lows, uh, but it was quite rare for the game to like do a significant dip and go lower than, you know, 28 FPS. I do kind of wonder if this has to do with like an Armored Core 6 auto detect settings, maybe some sort of like background dynamic resolution scaling, who knows. I didn't bother testing 900p because I realized it'd probably just be a healthy mix between 720p and 1080p, but realistically, I'm trying to stay in that VRR rate, which for me currently right now, I think stops at 48 FPS. So you can use that info to kind of gauge, you know, whatever you think will look best on the ally. For me, I just want to keep it cool, quiet, and still looking good. 
So let's move on. Uh, the next one on this list is an old one, but a good one. Uh, and you're going to laugh because it's both reinvigorating and it's kind of hot topic-ish. Uh, I came back to Path of Exile's League this week. Uh, it is a totem auto-battler arena kind of season. You know, where Path of Exile continues to create seasons with uh, thought-through mechanics, not just, mm, you know what, let's do gems again. No, wait, special gems that only fit in your accessories and spawn from regular mobs. No, wait, special elites that you have to fight twice. But we couldn't program in lighting for the little orbs on the ground, so they're impossible to find. Because, I don't know, programming. I just, I always feel like Diablo staff is like, eh, eh, it's fun, right? This is fun, we're having fun, right? Well, according to uh, Blizzard putting Diablo 4 on sale, what, like three months after it launched? I, I don't think people were having a lot of fun, Blizzard. That earnings call is going to be pretty disappointing. And I think Microsoft has a uh, steep hill ahead of them. But anyways, for Path of Exile, I did skip about three leagues, which is like the better portion of a year. Uh, came back, and as always, I'm I'm coming back to a new variety of gems. Support gems that were maybe eliminated or remade in multiple gem varieties so that they could provide a uh, broader solution to what was trying to accomplish. Passive tree reshuffling, a little bit of fixes here and there. Uh, but it's fun. It's good. I always rely on Path of Exile for kind of once you get the hang of it. And it's not like it doesn't take eight years to get used to it. It takes probably like two seasons. And the fact that you can kind of pick anything under the sun. Because in Diablo 4, for me, it was so terrible. Like, I I played two classes, Rogue and Sork. For the Rogue, it was either going to be Twisting Blade or Bow Rogue. You know, for Sork, it was always only going to be Ice Shards with uh, Blizzard or some sort of like Chain Lightning Sork. I don't feel like the classes were ever going to get better than those initial skills. And I just feel like, I feel like there's way more options for Path of Exile. And it's something that I feel so much better about investing my time into. Path of Exile 2 is definitely not for another year. Uh, but rest assured, I will try to pay to get into closed beta access. Uh, because I am, because for Path of Exile 1, I was a closed beta supporter. And just watching the videos and kind of like the loving care that is kind of shared between the two teams who are working on these games, it might be impulsive, but I think I'm going to enjoy myself. I also realize I'm probably unable to learn from my mistakes in the past and pay for games that are going to be free to play. If you have yet to try out Path of Exile, give it a shot, especially this league. There's a million things to do, and even if you want to play hardcore, uh, the season is quite forgiving uh, unless you sit around in the arena after the season content, deaths are not permanent in this season content, and realistically, this is the season I'm hoping I get to level 100. I'm talking about indie games, I did end up buying Hammerwatch 2 in kind of a lapse of judgment, thinking I had time to play everything that was coming out, uh, but I got it 30% off on a fanatical day one sale. It's kind of being heavily criticized for not being a Heroes of Hammerwatch sequel, and I get that. Uh, but they also took kind of like the old-school gauntlet-style gameplay and tried something new. Something expansive, a world to explore, classes to build, crafting, etc. And well, it's, it's just okay. I have 8 hours into this game, as it was my nighttime deck game. But Steam reviews are kind of on the fence for this one, with only a 65% positive rating. It definitely didn't come out to kind of the 
enthusiasm that maybe Heroes of Hammerwatch had, some of it being due to multiplayer originally being static games and not proper drop-in character multiplayer, which, to be fair, Crackshell did come back and roll out a version within the first week saying it listens, it understands the community's wants, give us some time to roll all this out. But a lot of it is just for the fact that it's no longer a, a one-shot roguelike, like its popular predecessor. I don't know if I find it any less addictive. I do kind of like having that character uh, building towards what I hope is some more grand areas than what Heroes of Hammerwatch were just putting. It, it feels kind of weird. It feels like they just put Heroes of Hammerwatch tile sets with towns and NPCs and things to interact with in between. But I don't know. That's what it felt like. I don't think it's necessarily too negative, but I do kind of feel like it's something that you could wait and see if it does improve. I do have high hopes for this game, and I mean, hey, if it really bombs, maybe they'll refocus on Heroes of Hammerwatch 2. Hammerwatch, but I can say Hammerwatch 2 is one of those games that runs really well at the 7 to 8 watt TDP range. Uh, for those of you interested, interested in some uh, long battery play games, uh, or for example, you know, you're one of those weird people like me who tried to make the most of a Steam Deck using a, what is it, those weird 22.5 watt power banks that do 9 volts, but they do like 2 amps. All this so I wouldn't have to carry around one of those like giant 45 watt and 65 watt bricks of a power bank. But yeah, not bad, maybe just not as an outstanding recommend. Uh, let's just throw in a short update on Baldur's Gate 3. Yes, it is still my game of the year contender, and yes, it is still a really long game. I'm a pathetic 77 hours into this game now, uh, and I have only myself to blame for being an Oathbreaker, uh, middle fingers uh, and all to every single god who tries to tread on me. And let's put it this way. Uh, in Pillars of Eternity, I lost an hour of ultra-hard boss-kiting combat uh, because I was an atheist edgelord to a god at the end of a tower uh, who, based on my dialogue, decided to instantly kill me. I will say there hasn't been any scenarios like that in Baldur's Gate 3 where I've been instant gibbed, but a lot of my conversations pretty uh, much just end up causing me to fight out of every place I walk deep into. Larian Studios has this kind of like weird development cycle where you have the forbidden item, but it feels like more of the story opens up if you just try to, I don't know, willingly give away the items that you're not supposed to be given to other people. I hope I said that in a way that it's not too spoilery for anyone who's, I don't know, still bumbling around for 15 hours into this game. But I do find like I spend a full night trying to fight my way out of all these deep bases that I end up getting into. So realistically, hopefully I'm done by Christmas. There's been a lot of stirring that a lot of content was cut from this game, and people who were hoping for a 200-hour game are, are kind of crying that there's cut content, but nobody understands game development. Like, half of it could have just been, like, half-baked ideas that were later scrapped. They might not have even been good ideas. But I don't know, maybe we're just in a situation where everyone just needs something to complain about. Uh, moving on, I just started Sea of Stars. Like, I'm, I'm only three hours in. But if I had to make a bold statement, again, uh, I'm only here to shill. Dave the Diver is going to have a tough time on critics' minds this year with all the nostalgia bait 
I feel playing uh, Super Mario RPG meets Chrono Trigger. I mean, Sea of Stars. Like, seriously, the, the old man in me. Basically, it doesn't take much for me to fall in love with this game. Uh, and aside from maybe what I'd consider slightly disappointing scaling options for higher resolutions, uh, the art style is on point, the controls are good, the story is PG, I guess. I don't know how I could describe it better. But in one, in one sitting, just to kind of like try and dabble in it, uh, I lost two hours of sleep so I could just keep going. So I can definitely see its broad appeal. It's fun. It's playful. It has that kind of emotional damage that makes you think something worrying is building up. One of the biggest complaints that I see on Steam reviews right now is that they hate kind of the mini games you play in combat. For those of you not old enough to remember, there are old games you can kind of reminisce on, like Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, uh, Bug Fables as an example. I think the level of depth they chose to include in combat is fine. It's like it's not that deep, and aside from maybe like understanding when to do proper timed hits for guard breaks, it adds a lot more than just a plain turn-based game with slightly involved combat. My take, anyways. What I don't understand is though, is if you hated that, you realize for like 15 gold. I think like the most expensive one that I found was like 45 gold. You can turn half of the things that people might complain about off. Like difficulty gone, skill checks gone. You could make this as like five-year-old friendly as you'd like. Aside from maybe just like making sure you know how to use skills instead of just auto-attacking. Let's just like start listing them off. Like there's relics to help you automatically auto-hit with a slight damage disadvantage. Uh, there's one that allows you to auto-block. Like combat too hard? You can give yourself a relic uh, to give yourself a 100% HP boost and full health restores after combat. Which, I mean, like, is crazy. They already throw fire pits at you, basically in strategic locations, you know, right in front of big rooms, which should be like the instant red flag for being like, hmm, maybe I should not take this do you wish to continue prompt until I've healed and saved. Like, are you frustrated that you do want to play with timed hits, but you're not sure when you're actually getting it correctly, you can turn on a relic to give you a little star that flies off when you get the timing correct to mentally imagine the timing. Like, there's so much that you can do for this game to just kind of make it ultra-casual friendly, because this game hit me right in the oof-I'm-old nostalgia point on the body. Uh, I can tell that people who don't obsessively game like, like I do would probably want this to be just kind of like that nostalgia bait, that casual experience. For the people who are complaining that they really wanted like a grand strategy, maybe something more bigger, more in-depth, the larger scale, you know, there have been other games. You can go out and play Chained Echoes, which I would say is, is a fabulous game. But when it comes to Sea of Stars, I think that this is really worth your time, despite the minority of initial negative feedback it receives. So those are the games that I'm juggling right now. Uh, so we can move on to gaming news. Starfield is coming out uh, in four days at the time of recording, and Microsoft reminded everyone that they disabled the $1 Game Pass trial because they want to make their money back. Because for Starfield, initial reviews are looking pretty good. The question always remains is, why did I start four different games in the last month before Starfield came out? Oh, that's right. I like alcohol. And of course, brain done work right. While initial reviews have been very positive, uh, I see a reoccurring theme of good but overhyped thrown around. Or 
it's a Bethesda game. Now, for most people who might not understand this, I kind of have to wonder, because of such like the broad positivity for this, I get a sense that there's a little bit of like review buffering, like, you know, a little bit of padding to make sure that you stay good with uh, Uncle, Uncle Howard. I just get a sense that some people are a bit disappointed in a sense that there was some sort of more grandeur buildup, you know, the stupid FMVs, uh, pre-rendered uh, cinematics before actually seeing gameplay. And even Digital Foundry said that the videos that they watched before versus the initial hands-on impression was, like, miles better. But there's always, like, this kind of sense that, oh, man, I, I guess we went to go explore space and we kind of got No Man's Skyed into procedurally generated worlds, you know? We had to hit that revelation of, oh, it's that kind of a universe. Yes, space is open and empty and not every planet is explorable. Why can't I land on a gas giant? I realize it's like realism. I realize that it's like specific things. It's realism versus whatever, development dollars and man hours. And my hard drive space. And Bethesda having to do more Q&A. But for a game that has been longly developed and publicly announced that has been in the proper stages of baking since, what, 2018? I'm hoping that is just a point that people are discussing because they need something to complain about in the game. Because for as much as I hated kind of Fallout 4's conversation system and Fallout 76's complete di departure from fun, conversations in Starfield have looked like a pretty decent game just from watching the gameplay. It does look like it's a bit subpar compared to what you get in other series, but I think I'm just stuck in a bitter cycle uh, when Fallout 3 was kind of the last point before Fallout 4 kind of sucked out all the fun and coy dialogue that you used to get out of the series. It definitely makes me want to say rest in peace, low-intelligence Fallout. If you have the opportunity, just just give low-intelligence Fallout 1 and 2 runs a try because oh, that is just like comedy at its finest. Anyways, getting back on topic, the game, uh, judging from all the reviews, looks like it's pretty okay for top-end GPUs, so like your 4070 Ti's and 7900 XT owners, you, you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief that you can play without needing FSR, you can turn off uh, dynamic resolution scaling uh, and variable rate shading. Everyone else though, eh, will you be aiming for a stable 60 FPS? I guess the better question is, would you be okay if you couldn't obtain a stable 60 FPS? Which, judging by initial reviews and benchmarks, made that sound a lot harder than it should be, without resorting to, like, low graphics and 1080p. There's a lot of settings that you can cherry-pick to kind of take the pressure off your GPU and CPU while still having a decent time, but I think most people shouldn't have to worry too much about, uh, 8 gigabytes of VRAM being an issue. For those of you with uh, 7840U devices like the ROG Ally, you should probably temper your expectations. Judging from Reddit feedback, uh, the Z1 Extreme is just a 7840U with its hat backwards and slower RAM, uh, so it does have the CPU capacity that everyone says that you probably should have for Starfield, uh, but for the most part, from what I've seen, uh, you're looking to a lot of people who are getting it at the kind of peak efficiency of the system. You know, that 25 watt to 28 watt range, just to keep it into the nicer 40 to 50 FPS with FSR on. And 
and there aren't going to be a lot of things that you put on high. A lot of the big draining features like shading, lighting, reflections, those are going to be all the first to go. What's worse is the game isn't even launching with FSR 3, so who knows? Maybe it'll be a point that everyone can rejoice in, you know, 60 FPS maybe will bounce up to 100 and everyone will be happy. Uh, handheld owners are kind of just sitting in a state of optimistic disbelief that it might get any better. But just to remind you, frame generation at like 30 FPS doesn't always look good. AMD was boasting that, like, yeah, you can sometimes quadruple your FPS, going from 30 to 120 FPS on ultra performance mode. And you, you have to think about it, it's like, wow, I could upscale 360p into 1080p, and you're like, oh, disgusting. Gamers Nexus, I think, started their benchmarks with a RTX 4060. And just looking at that, you can get a little bit of a nicer, like, 60 plus FPS on low, but still experience some dips especially combat, especially in like wider open world where you're not just in a building staring down hallways. So you kind of have to keep your performance expectations realistic. But I am super excited for this game to come out, uh, and I still think that everyone should either buy it uh, or give it a shot on Game Pass if you think it's going to be a one-and-done kind of gameplay. Another big announcement that kind of relates to handhelds, since that's what I like to talk about, uh, Sony announced the PlayStation Portal, not the PSP. Um, I'm surprised that all of the hints and rumors ended up being absolutely true, because it turns out that it is just a PS5 remote play device, which means it is a, a screen with a controller with no Bluetooth and can expect to get like three hours of battery life while playing games at 60 hertz for $200 US. And going through all this, all I can really say is enjoy your controller screen being defunct because it's going to start drifting in a year. Maybe that's like the, the researched length of interest people with a PS5 will have in this device before moving on to the next shiny object. Because let's be serious here, and I'm going to ask you all this to you because everyone should be physically upset that people invested time and money into releasing this product. Who okayed this? Like, just 100%. It must be like some sort of miracle of that an engineering sample was put on the table and be like, uh, this is what we're releasing this year to still pretend like we have a hat in the game when it comes to handhelds. Like, is this just some sort of like failed step in between getting a PS5 mobile edition? I was really hoping I'd be able to like at least operate independently, give people whatever, like unhinged access to PlayStation Now if you have your stupid PlayStation Plus subscription. This brings back terrible memories of me looking at my fat PS3 feeling ripped off even more because basically Sony just abandoned all of our old purchases because whatever. Oh, it's it's incompatible. Speaking of feeling like Sony is absolute crooks, uh, the PlayStation Plus subscriptions are going up. It looks like it's 30% across the board. Uh, that includes their quote-unquote essential tier, going up to $80 US annually for basic cloud saves, uh, awful free games, and the ability to play online? <laughs> right, sorry, I got caught up in my own smug for a second there. The next step is being bumped up to $135 annually for extra, uh, which is essential, plus you get access to the catalog of what I guess used to be PlayStation Now, you know, similar to Xbox Game Pass. The step up from that is 
kind of a big ask, but for $160 US, you can get PS Plus Extra, which allows you to stream PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PSP, and PS3 games, which I guess PS3 with a giant asterisk, because not every country gets access to PS3 streaming. That's kind of like a big yikes for me, because despite getting some features in PlayStation 1 and PSP games, like being a build having the ability to use save states and rewind function, you know, that thing that emulators have been doing for the past decade. Oh yeah, that's right. You can basically go on archive.org and download the entire PlayStation 1 series if you really want to. Sure, it won't natively upscale to 4K, but all right, emulators. <laughs> I'm so salty. You can just color me salty pink because I am also subscribed to a game as a service. Games as a service, as a subscription, but, I mean, not at this price. Not for what they're offering. And more so that it caters to both Xbox and PC owners. Like, that we should be recognized in the same grouping. I'm still waiting for Xbox game mode on Windows. Pretty pleased. I'll tell you this much. It is definitely uh, an investor's move because their stock price rose in response to this 30% jump. Likely because they're hoping to offset a drop in... PlayStation Plus subscribers by squeezing out their dedicated cow group a, a little bit harder, but whatever. You have shareholders. When it, talk, when it comes down to profitability, people just have to live in their own little world. Letting the uh, salt train continue, did you know a new Saints Row game came out? No? Did you know that a new Saints Row game came out and it was worse than the last one, which was criticized for feeling like an old-gen inspired Saints Row, and that it Despite Council's feedback that it sucked, they did nothing to improve it. Did you know that a large-scale restructuring of Embracer Group to focus on quote-unquote cost savings uh, by consolidating, uh, aka management speak for stopping the hemorrhaging of cash for these terrible games, ended up occurring like two months after the game was done? Yeah, that's right. Volition Studio, their entire staff was basically ejected into the back alley just a couple months after the game launched. So much for the continuity of the series. Uh, I mean, they still have the IP, but I'm basically legit concerned that we're going to be looking at burying Tomb Raider, Dusex, Thief, and I guess every other franchise that they bought the last year, you know, in the backyard next to all the houseplants that we forgot to water and killed off immediately. Kind of on like a fun news point, uh, Lenovo is throwing their hat into the ring as it's finally announced, but they already have engineering samples given out to people like, again, Dave2D. This giant 9-inch, this giant 8.8-inch screen, 1600p, 7840U handheld with detachable controllers is kind of weird, but it's actually quite interesting. I am never going to call them Joy-Cons, uh, because Nintendo does not deserve recognition or association for their drifting, unergonomic, uh, tiny discs of cramping. Because unlike everyone else who's just done, like, the ROG ally, because unlike everyone else who kind of just, like, stuck to the status quo, you know, Steam Deck looking, there's a lot of what Lenovo did that was kind of more on the edge of innovation and and cool. Like, the FPS stick as a right controller that tracks movement on a surface could double as a mouse for FPS games. Like, that's, that's pretty cool. But again, it's kind of one of these things that kind of borderline utility versus novelty. The fact is this thing hinted by Dave TD to come out at what sounds like 700 US dollars, uh, which is what the RG Ally is at, was kind of a head turner. If it does end up coming out 
with these specs as the base package, such a reasonable price kind of means that Asus really did just kind of like race to get the first thing. I was going to use some other wording to describe this. Uh, really does mean that Asus did race out uh, to get their device out first before, you know, innovation really needed to kick in. Maybe to get all those early profits in before they actually had to try and impress with more than just a nice screen. But I mean with like a three month lead time, I hope Lenovo has at least used this opportunity to see all of Asus's struggles and deliver something solid. But also, the 7840U handheld market is kind of getting really same looking and saturated. And just considering some of the other devices, I kind of wonder how uh, a 7840U handheld is going to really run anything but ultra indie titles at 144 FPS, when I can't even get Armored Core 6 to run at 60 FPS at 720p. It was brought up with devices like the uh, IO Neo Kuhn, but I think that device is supposed to be like pretty heavy, just like the, uh, the Legion Go. It's supposed to weigh something like over 800 grams with controllers attached, so I mean, it's probably not going to be in my future, uh, but maybe that's their goal to have something more laptop-like, just based on Dave 2D's breakdown, but who knows. I hope Lenovo is keeping their hat in the ring uh, when we start looking at Gen 2 devices. So before I finish talking about handhelds, I do want to give you some closure about my ROG Ally. I did return my device. For $900, it just didn't hit right. There was no open box units for sale at Best Buy. All I could see on Kijiji were some $750 units, and I thought, you know what, maybe this is for the best. You know, I'll get my win for, and I'll just wait out for Gen 2. While being ally-less, uh, I picked up my deck and just went back to gaming as usual. Except, for some reason, the truncated library just kind of hit a little bit harder. Not being able to just natively play Xbox Game Pass games kind of stung. The worst part was going back to a 40 hertz screen without VRR. Like, I have to think that VRR is like a drug for me at this point, because the moment you don't have it in front of you, experiencing it anymore, your skin just kind of crawls when you start seeing like 25 millisecond frame times. And I'm not trying to be elitist jerk about it, like 40 hertz mode is sufficient on the deck. But VRR has basically ruined modern gaming and Switch emulation for me. And don't get me wrong, since uh, since I since I returned my device, uh, ROG Ally Fanatics discovered that whatever 900p runs better than 1080p, and they treat it like it's some sort of unearthed secret that it looks better than 720p. And I agree with you that the kind of middle of the road boost between 720p and 1080p performance, and not looking like 720p or you know like the Steam Deck, I still think it's just at a point that everyone should come back to the fact that the 780M uh, in these APUs is still just kind of integrated graphics at the end of the day. It might look better if your goal is just to play natively, but you're still stretching those pixels over a 1080p screen for the ROG Ally, which in reality means you should probably be looking at doing something like implementing EXSS or something if you can. The promise of driver level FSR again Kinda has me giddy that we could expect maybe at least a little bit of a performance boon uh, performance boost on every device, Steam Deck included. But it's also been a year for me since I had been anticipated FSR 3. It was the main reason that I bought my 7900 XT, and I really feel like AMD is just it offers that lower price and higher hardware because it is constantly playing catch up. 
And the worst part is that it's constantly playing catch up in silence. I think uh, for Starfield, this is the first game that came out with a proper day one patch. Maybe Hogwarts Legacy, but everything kind of felt like it came out like just after the fact. But I mean, AMD argument has always been about innovation versus maturity. NVIDIA doesn't have to make these stark claims. NVIDIA is kind of a different kind of evil, but I would say it's mature. And you understand the device that you're getting at DLS 3.5 plus flame frame generation isn't as bad as people make it sound. But after all of this, uh, I went on the Best Buy website and I ended up just seeing like, okay, well, what is like the refurbished market looking like? Uh, and I was able to buy an open box unit for 700 Canadian dollars. And at 700 Canadian dollars, I'd be willing to take the risk and offset my price and just pick up a one terabyte drive. Some initial worries that like, well, maybe someone just like banged the thing up and it wasn't going to be as good as like new. No, it, it works perfectly fine. A giant asterisk saying that I know that it works perfectly fine now, knowing that my SD card reader is probably a ticking time bomb. But I mean, like, maybe it's an okay unit. Maybe, you know, there's a silent statistic of people with no problems. Uh, because I don't play with my ally over 75 degrees Celsius, really, because my game... Because I always keep my TDP under 25 watts. Originally, I was just going to wait before installing my one terabyte SSD uh, once I get outside of my return window. But for 700 bucks, I don't think that return is going to happen. And for the fact that I am back playing with VRR, I have my Riva Tuner overlay set up again. I have G Helper installed because now I know what effective power ranges to use. You know, I can supplement I can supplement Armory Crate's stupid profiles with my own. I am still waiting on my Win 4, which will be shipped in September, uh, and when I get it, I can decide which device uh, I prefer to keep for this generation of handhelds. But honestly, at this point, I think the Steam Deck might just join the shelf with my PS4, Xbox One, my three 3DSs, my PSP, my PS Vita, and my Switch just kind of constantly judging by where the uh, US dollar to Canadian dollar is going. I I don't think I could count on uh, the Legion Go being $900 Canadian. We got some sort of like weird discount sh being shipped into Canada for some reason, but for what is essentially like what, 520 bucks to get $700 Canadian? ROG Ally at that price is a steal. But that's it. This is going to conclude the episode. There's no new games to announce this month. I'm sure you could look up and see that Payday 3 is coming out or any of the other titles that are coming out. Let's just focus on now because I'm I'm already behind. Back, my backlog mountain is piling up uh, and I'm going to have to outsource having my fun playing time to someone else and just start watching playthroughs if I don't smarten up. The latter half of this year is, is still looking solid for releases, so who knows what's going to be shuffled into my backlog next. But let's crunch in some games before everything gets too crazy. But yeah, thanks for listening. I really appreciate you guys chiming in. I do see that there are some repeat listeners. And hey, I appreciate it. I would appreciate getting some sort of feedback. You know, you can hit me up at truesligergaming at gmail.com basically anytime you want. And maybe give me advice on finding an indie game that I, you think I might enjoy. My name is Dan. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Game in Hand, and I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.